I mean, it's a constant work in progress. The thing is, you know, you cannot let your guard down and you cannot become complacent. It's a white knuckle ride for the first three or four months. You know, you really are just clinging on. It's Belfast, do you know what I mean? You, you have a drink if the fucking postman comes. You celebrate if an envelope gets opened. You know, if I take a drink, I don't think I'll ever stop. I started to drink when I was about 11 and smoke. When I was 12, I had a star chart. You know, kids would have these behavior charts. Mine was if I came home sober, but I, I was always a, a drinker, a binge drinker. You know, weekends, never touched it during the week. I loved that it was mine. I didn't have to share it. So that that was me then onto the meth, and I did that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday on the sly again for about four years, being sacked from my job. And I've been a financial advisor for 13 years. I had the kids taken away from me, all four of them, and I couldn't make payments on the house. I was renting it, and I'd met a guy and he'd stabbed me a couple of times. And it just, I wouldn't believe that someone can deteriorate so quickly. My name is Anthony Capazzoli, and this is the Dismantled Life Podcast, where we share stories of hope, love, and strength from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of sobriety. These are stories from people just like us who have lived through the pain and made it. You had helped me through a moment of some anger struggles I was going through. Actually, you and I on Twitter went back and forth and I dedicated it. My last episode, I don't know if you heard, but I read our Twitter exchange on the episode because I thought it was so valuable, not just what you said, but the fact that you didn't know me, you know, personally. I mean, we know each other on Twitter and as we talked about how valuable it is to reach out to the community, if you yeah. will, it makes a huge difference. Just sometimes you need a little a little pat on the back or a little nudge or a little strength or encouragement from someone that isn't... The thing with addiction is we can always find something in common. It doesn't yeah. matter what your background is or what your drug of choice was or what path you're on. There are just so many similarities where you go, ah, yes, I know yeah. what he's thinking, right. I might be able to give him a wee bit of advice here because I remember feeling like that at one point, you know. And I think it's so important as well that, you know, the the emotional growth is in so many different stages and that we forget that those around us who aren't in recovery don't have to do the same things and make the same changes that we do. That's so right. they don't they don't understand that our thought process that we're already that we're in maybe a 45 minute conversation inside our head and they come in and ask for a biscuit and it's like, ah, you know, no, you, you know, I was just plan. about to get to the end of that and you've just interrupted, you know, they don't understand the brain of an addict. It is so true on that point. Like that, those, that was the basis I learned through not only, you know, our, our tweets back and forth, but some other conversations and then, I learned that that was the thing. It was they were interrupting my process, and yeah. that struggle turned into anger because it was breaking my stride. And then yeah. I had realized, and what you said is, other people aren't going through recovery like I am, so you can't yeah. get mad at them for living their life. And I wasn't no. getting mad at them for that. I was getting mad at them for not leaving me alone in the moment I needed to be left alone. Yep, exactly. And that that turned into these flash anger moments, which, you know, they could still come, but I can feel them coming a little bit easier now. I can see it, I suppose. So I'm able to better handle it, which has made a huge and dramatic impact on my peace of mind. Yeah. So I, I don't have to talk myself off the ledge, so to speak, in a good way, which is very nice. Um, yeah. and again, you, don't want, you don't want to be, you know, 
everyone takes it out on the people that are closest to them. That's the unfortunate bit because they're the people that you're doing this for and they're the people that you're around most of the time. And, you know, our whole thing with getting clean and staying clean is that you're you're not adding any more guilt, shame and remorse onto the pile that you're already dealing with. So whatever you lash out or you do something that triggers in your brain how a memory of you when you were using, I think it just compounds everything into this huge guilt and shame. And even though you've only maybe snapped at the kids for a second or, or been a bit sharper than you would normally be, it's what that represents within us, I think, more than what it actually is coming out of us. Yep, that's true. It, it's very true. And, you, you know, you and I had talked, I reached out on Twitter for guests that wanted to come on and share their story. So I'm so grateful that that you decided to come on and share your story. And it's wonderful because it's been so helpful. I've gotten great feedback from listeners. The common thread is it's nice to hear other people's story of not only the struggle, but that there's light at the end of the tunnel or that yeah. there you can get there, you know? And it and the thing is that the best part about all the guests is nobody bullshits and says it's easy. Everyone's no. like, it fucking sucks sometimes. No. And it's hard and you never know some days for no reason at all. And today, this morning is one of those days. I wasn't, I didn't feel itchy to use or to drink or to smoke or anything. I felt like I just didn't want to do shit. Yeah. And you, you have to fight through those moments too, because they can turn into bad choices also. So those kinds of things, the camaraderie around that is what I think most people are getting out of the podcast, almost brothers and sisters in arms kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a constant work in progress. The thing is, you know, you cannot let your guard down and you cannot become complacent. Because that's when shit happens. That's when people, you know, people end up, you know, I've heard of people using against their will and, and, you know, stories like that. And, you know, I am very fortunate and grateful that I, I got clean once. You know, I got clean once and I was absolutely committed to doing it. And I'm lucky that I'm almost 40 months down the line of stay clean. That's wonderful. But that doesn't negate the fact that. You know, the first, it's a white knuckle ride for the first three or four months. You know, you really are just clinging on. And sometimes it is just about getting through another day clean. You don't need to enjoy it. You don't even want to enjoy it, right? Just just get me through this day clean. I mean, I used to say like some days at like 4 p.m., do you know what? I've just had enough of being awake today, right? I've just had enough. I'm going to bed. I'm not going to use. I'm not going to kill myself. I'm not going to kill anybody else. But I've had enough of being awake today, you know. And I would just go check out, you know. Just say no. I can't. I can't. I just can't deal with it anymore. It's 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 too much. You know, the rewards outweigh the work. No doubt, uh, and that's and, the and most that's, important thing, isn't it? There's no one way to do it. You have everyone has their own process, their own style, or whatever they lean into to get to the happy place, or to not use whatever that means to them. Yeah. And some days, you know. I, I think you said it best. It, it, you have to, you kind of come to enjoy the struggle in a strange way. And I'm not saying it's fun, but I'm saying it's rewarding at the end of the day when you've gotten through it. And you have to have the mentality that it's going to be hard. It, it really is going to be hard. But when you get through it and you look back on your day or in the morning when you wake up, you're so grateful that you've gotten through it, that you're that much stronger or tougher today. And that all matters. It builds up. It does build up, absolutely, and it builds up your resilience. And I think a lot of people, you know, find that, uh, like, I'll find that I have, like, huge things happen. Like, I've had a really 
bad medical experience recently. I've been unwell physically. And that hasn't, I've been fine. I can roll with that. But something small happened. Like I go to put milk in the coffee and the milk's out of date. And it's like, fucking, oh my God, this is it. That's it. You know, it's just, yeah. it's, uh, you know, nothing. It's the curveballs, you know, and you cannot, you cannot um, mitigate for those. You have to just roll with it. And <clears throat> I mean, I'm, I'm speaking to a guy right now who's in, well, he's not in recovery yet, but I'm trying to, get him into recovery and you know he's 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 had enough you know he's he's just he's done he's exhausted there's no enjoyment he's using just to stop getting sick and you know i was at that point and there were things that he has said to me now i really remember my struggle at the end how bad i was you know i remember it and i remind myself of it and i allow myself to feel that pain because if i don't then i could forget how bad it was but yeah. he's saying to me, he, you know, his drug of choice is coke, mine was meth. But he's snorting and he can't snort anymore. Do you know, he, he actually can't get, his nose won't let him snort it. And I'm going, fucking hell, I forgot about that. You know, I, I forgot that was one of the things. And then, and then, of course, I'm giving him tips, you know. Oh, if you do this, you'll be able to. But the guy is absolutely on his ass, you know. He's just, he's beat. He's just done. He's had it, you know. And, and I said sure. to him. You are ready to surrender. You know, this is yeah. it. This is your first surrender and you, yeah. you have to do it. And I said, he only just told his family, um, last night how bad things are. He had been pushing them away for months. So he eventually spoke to them last night and then he stayed up all night and whatever. I don't know if he was having like a one last bash at it, whatever he's doing is his choice, but he's drained today. And I said to him, but that's the, the sheer relief of sharing the burden and and not having to keep the curtains closed and not being scared when the postman knocks the door, you know, all that stuff. I said, that's just the relief of, oh, thank God, thank God. Like you said, you, you can't snort anymore. You can't, whatever it is you're doing, your body like rebels against what it is you're doing. I, I would have nosebleeds in like this rawness in my nose from doing too much blow and, and it, it does. And then- and then the thing is, like you sit in your garage, at least I did, and drinking, smoking, and doing blow. And, and I would be so worn out and exhausted from it, even on the Coke, which isn't, it's supposed to do the opposite, yeah. but it didn't. It literally dragged me down into this like abysmal emotional tank of hell. It was brutal. And I kept going because I didn't even know why the fuck I, was, I kept going. And it yeah. you just hit. That's where I hit and skidded across rock bottom for as long as I did. And then you get to the point, like you said, Something either drastic happens, and in my case, it was a drastic, you know, a health issue. I almost died from it. Uh, it but so, it doesn't need to be that. It could be something as simple as I've had fucking enough of this shit. Yeah, that's like, where I will. Release the burden, which yeah. is which is the magical moment. I, I call it the everything and nothing moment. And, it, and by that, I mean it could be something as big or as little as it needs to be. But you've had enough. You don't need anything else. No motivation beyond today's the fucking day. I'm done with this shit. And it's, it's wonderful for anyone who is trying to get into recovery or thinking about it you know the cycle of of using I heard other people say that that you know that the most dangerous time of a relapse is when you're just into it because you go straight full throttle to what you were doing before you stopped but your body doesn't have the tolerance anymore you know and that's why the the overdose rate and and the the um fatality rate is so high on a relapse you know because i know like I speak to people and they say to me, 
like it's Belfast, do you know what I mean? You you have a drink if the fucking postman comes, you celebrate if an envelope gets opened, you know, somebody dies, you drink, somebody's born, you drink, do you know what I mean? The sun comes yeah. out of rains, you fucking drink, that's what you do, you drink, you drink, you drink. <laughs> and people would say to me, oh, you know, so you could have a few and you could just control it. And I'm like, if I could have a few and just control it, I wouldn't be in the fucking situation that I'm in or that I was in. You know, I just don't, I, if I take a drink, I don't think I'll ever stop. That's right. You know, I just don't, I don't think that I would have the, 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 the strength and the willpower to do recovery again. Do you know what I mean? It wouldn't be the same the second time round. I wouldn't have the same support the second time round. My kids wouldn't give me another chance the second time round. That's right. You know, the, the anniversaries would be, oh, well, we've been here before. Do you know what I mean? Whereas now they're important. Every day is important. Whereas if, if it was the second time around the loop, and this is just for me, other people I know have had unfortunately relapsed and gone back into recovery and been hugely successful. Yeah. But for me, I know my support group would not be the same. The piece of that that's so important is you, you have to rely on your support group so much. And it's different yeah. for everybody. Uh, but for me, like you said, one drink is all I need. And then I'm buying two packs of cigarettes and I'm buying an eight ball of cocaine. And because I know, I know my what I would call my addict strategy. And, and it prays that it would prey on me that way. And the first thing was always just have one sip of wine, one, this, whatever that, the one thing was always, would always be a drink, by the way. It yeah, would, me too. Would, I would never Start. just hit the blow. Right. I would have no. like, Oh, let's just get warmed up. And then I'm off and running. And then three days later, you know, on the tail end of a horrific bender. And it's just, it's, it's, I know better. And I'm so much happier where I'm at. It's hard fought happiness, but it's it's the purest happiness ever. And that's that's the wonderful part of all of this that I think that I'm excited to hear your story about maybe how how things got started and and how you got to your what I'll call your pre-addict day, yeah. if you will. What what was life like? Did did you just obviously being in Belfast, you said you were born with a with a pint? Basically, yeah. And just just before we go further, you say there, you know, about well, if you have a drink, if you just have a drink. Like I, we, I don't know if you have the same, but we would say you may as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb. <laughs> so like, if you know, if you're gonna have one beer, you you fucked up anyway. You may as well have a hundred and one beers. You know, you're gonna have one line. You may as, so you may as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb. That's that's what we would say over here. Yeah. You know, and it's very it, because it is. You're like, well, I've screwed up anyway, so I may as well screw up properly. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm already wet. Let's just dive yeah, into the pool. I've already half screwed up, so well, I may as well just go for it. But no, I mean, I I have been in the rooms quite a bit. I don't take part in the twelve step programs anymore out of personal choice. But a lot of the 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 running theme and trend is that people have had you know difficult childhoods and and traumatic upbringings and you know, that sort of thing. And I didn't have that. You know, I was brought up with two parents who were married 39 years last Monday and two brothers and, you know, stable homes, stable background. Everything was was good for me. There, there, there was no trigger point. The trigger point was I always felt different, you know. And, I like, I always felt that I probably would have had a – I wouldn't have been a privileged upbringing, but I, I, we were comfortable. Do you know, we didn't want for anything. And I was always jealous of the ones who had fuck all, who were like allowed to go out and drink all night and their mad didn't give a shit where they were and they were shagging people and they were doing this, you know, and I had to be home at half eight, you know, and I was like, fuck this. Like I'd far rather be down there with 
Jenny from the block, you know, rather than yeah. up here on the pedestal sort of thing. But uh, I started to drink when I was about 11 and smoke. And like m- my mum and dad, they never encouraged drinking, but it would have been like, oh, you want a wee glass of beer or whatever, you know, it was never a big deal. But uh, of course, our mentality, you know, everything to excess, you know, so like I was 11 and I would, my mum would have dropped me off at Sunday school, which is a church, you know, and they look after you while the parents go to church. And I would have left Sunday school and gone and got a carry out at 11, you know, a, or we called a carry out, a, a, you know, a load of drink and got um, some grass and went and got stoned and drunk. And they would have come to pick me up an hour later, like and I was fucking away and they would have spent hours looking for me, trying to track me down. And, you know, they grinded me. And when I was 12, I had a star chart. You know, kids would have these behavior charts. Mine was if I came home sober at 12. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is the stuff my parents were trying to, like, deal with. And I suppose, you know, they were very... They didn't come down hard on me. They really didn't. They tried everything. And I think they knew that I was just going to do what I was going to do. You know, I, I wasn't a, a tear away. As in, I didn't get into fights. I didn't bring police to the door. I didn't steal. I didn't do any of that stuff. I just drank and took drugs, you know, a lot. And um, whenever I was uh, 14, then I moved out of home and moved in with my then boyfriend. He was a lot older than me and left school and then had a baby when I was 16, 15, 16. And then that was just, that was life, you know. But I I was always a a drinker, a binge drinker, you know, weekends, never touched it during the week, but always a binge drinker, always loved to drink, you know, like lived for the weekend, you know. When I was pregnant and couldn't drink, it was like, fucking hell, this is (laughs) terrible, you know. But I didn't take my first proper like class a drug until i was about 27 mm. and uh my ex-husband had or sorry my husband at the time had been out partying with ones and they come back to the house and i had heard them all and I, w- I went to see what they were doing and there were lines of coke racked up and i was very anti-drugs anti you know proper drugs and uh so to make a point and to piss them all off i snorted the lot Oh shit! Just because I wanted to fuck them off, because I was like, no, I don't like drugs in my house, and bam, that was it. Yeah. Wow. Right. Wow. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. You know? It hits you harder and better than people think, and that's why if you have the choice to choose to not ever take that take that path, because <laughs> once it you know what you're missing, you up quick. Yeah. Yeah. But so then I started to use recreationally. Um, my husband was very controlling, so he, he wouldn't allow me to use drugs, right? So he, he could use them, but I wasn't allowed to. So then I started to get my own supply, and I, I would have taken it, you know, in secret. And that, that was another rung on the sort of addict, selfish, manipulative mentality, and I loved it. Yeah. I loved that it was mine. I didn't have to share. I didn't have to tell anybody. You know, it was mine. It was my secret. And I fucking loved it. But as we all know, cocaine's very expensive. Yep. And I couldn't stand, you know, I, cu- I couldn't, I had a good job, but I couldn't withstand the habit because of four kids and stuff. Uh, so meh. Cheaper, higher, you know, dirtier, whatever. So that that was me then onto the meth, And I did that 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday on the sly again for about four years. And then our marriage broke down in 2016. And I moved out and that was it. Then I didn't have to hide it anymore. And it just absolutely snowballed. Yeah. It went from being able to control it and hide it and keep it to myself to I don't give a fuck. You know, I don't care. I just had pushed that fucking button and I couldn't go back. And that was it. And within, within us, I think we were only separated about three months and I had been sacked from my job and I've been a financial advisor for 13 years. I had the kids taken away from me, all four of them, and I couldn't make payments on the house. I was renting it. And I'd met a guy and he'd stabbed me a couple of times. And it just, I wouldn't believe that someone can deteriorate so quickly. I really didn't believe that it was possible. You know, I if someone had said to me that you could get that bad that quickly, I would have said, well, you're fucking stupid then. You know, have a bit of self-control, try and drag it out, try and do, you know, try and hide it a bit. But I just, I just, I lost control completely. My disease took over and my need for the drugs took over and my need for other people's approval. Like I would have been on those um, like dating apps and hookup apps and things and not to date or hook up, but to get that constant feel, the constant feed of you're gorgeous, you're lovely, you're sexy, you're this. And once I got it for like 15 minutes from someone, right, that's enough of you, next. You know, I needed a constant, constant feed and not from females, not from nice people. No, I needed it from men. And I needed it just on a drip, you know. And this, you know, this is how I know that I was so far down that, you know, I couldn't even be by myself for five minutes. You know, I couldn't stamp my own company. I couldn't even look in a mirror. It was just... I have some residual effects that way where I have acceptance and approval. It doesn't have to come in... in like a constant drip anymore. It used to, but now if I feel a little bit, a sense of something being off in any relationship and I've gotten better at not controlling it, but accepting that not everyone's going to love me at every level, every minute of, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I, I have to directly seek out and ask, is everything okay? And and I have to control and mentally like make it a part of my day to say, all right, just, be okay, not only with who you are, but how other people think of you. And quite frankly, nine times out of 10 or 99 out of 100, they're, they give fuck all about me in, in a good way. Like, I, I don't have a list of shit to worry about for them. They don't care. But you yeah. think that, that I, you know, you think that you are. And that's the part that you have to teach yourself that you're not as important to everybody as you think you are. In, in, yeah. a, in a good way. I don't mean that in a shitty way. I'm saying. No, in a good way, yeah. yeah. You don't want to be the center of everybody's world anymore. Yeah, you know, you were the center of everybody's world, but you were the fucking problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not you weren't the center of everybody's world because you were fantastic. It was because you were a fucking thorn in everyone's side. Yeah, you know, there was just it was relentless, and it never gave up, and you never gave up, and and it just it's you know it's tiring, you know, and yeah. I think um, for me personally, you know, I for the first time ever. In my life at 36 now, I can be with me. Yeah. I'm all right with me. You know. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. And it's taken a really long time to get here and a lot 
of work for the first two years of my recovery, you know, but now I'm like, do you know what? I, I forgive myself. Well, you were saying that uh, it took you a while to get good at or comfortable being with yourself. And yeah, and that, that is a common thread for me as well, because yes. I had to get comfortable just being at peace with myself, being quiet, being not having to fill myself with alcohol and drugs to be in. It's it just all that goes away. And now I find myself just relaxing and loving yeah. the process of that. It's really nice. It's really it's, nice. For the, you know, it's freeing. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is. For the first time, you're not burdened with all the shit. You know, there's so much. Like, I, I mean, uh, the amount of work we put in to getting drugs and using drugs and finding ways and means and, and the being so secretive and conniving and manipulative yeah. and all that stuff. You know, we're not stupid people. Far from it. If we were stupid people, life would be fucking easier because we'd just be all be dumb and all be in jail. But <laughs> you know, the fact is you have to read the, you have to redirect that that intelligence. You have to redirect that drive and that ambition. And, you know, I said to that guy that I'm talking to about recovery today, I said, if you put 10% of what you put into getting drugs and using drugs, if you put 10% of that into recovery, you'd be fucking flying. Yeah, so true. You would be, you'd be the happiest recovering addict in the world. I agree. The amount of energy and time consumed getting, using, or recovering, meaning the hangover portion of recovery, not not recovering. No, the come down. Yeah, the come down. Like that amount of time and effort, it consumed everything in my life. And then, like you said, it all, the redirect into the the positive recovery steps are less work than all of that bullshit. And that's the, that's the, maybe the hidden secret of all of this. It, if you trust that that's going to, I'm not going to say easy, but that that's the formula. Like if you take that, all that negative effort and make it positive effort, it, like you said, that 10% can be everything. I mean, it's truly yeah. magical. It, it, it isn't. So how did you, when you went into recovery, what, what was the trigger for you to say, all right, I, I've had enough of this shit. I'm going to put this down. I just had enough. I, I tried, well, half tried to come off meth myself um, with using um, smoking grass, you know, or marijuana or whatever, and, yeah. and alcohol to try and, you know, sort of to try and wean off the meth a bit. And yeah. um, I ended up just taking, like, loads of benzos with all the fucking, the weight to get really properly wobbled out and then, dis- then started using diners. But I was also using the meth and the cook and the spade during the day and then the diners at night to try and have some. And it was just my heart. I thought I was going to have a heart attack about yeah. 25 times a day. I was covered from head to toe in scabs, picking and picking and picking. Yes. I, you know, it's terrible. Like, it's really bad. I was about to- Not to interrupt, but I want to take no. a moment on that because I think people don't realize that people that are on the, the coke or the – uh, the math or, you know, the, the ups, if you will, you acquire these weird ticks or little things that you do. Some people scratch themselves, pluck eyebrows, wh- whatever it is. I happen to be an eyebrow plucker. It was a- it's just a tweak, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know, like, you're like- yeah, everyone has it. Some people can't control their jaw. There's always, yeah. it's either an immediate tell 
uh, a mid-tier tell or a long-term tell. Yeah. And by that, I mean, you might, they're doing it every day, but you might not notice that, that they're doing a that. Day too. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting, but I, I would agree. And so, so yeah, laddering up and down was, is also part of the exhaustion part. Cause yeah. I would drink, drink, drink. And then to keep drinking, I would do blow. And then the, yeah. and so I would just bounce back and forth at the same time in that little loop and then smoke the packs of cigarettes, a yeah. crazy amounts of cigarettes. So it was just a, a trifecta of hell, I called it. It was just brutal. Yeah. But so, it's just it's ex, it's excess everything to the extreme. You know, there there is there is no moderation. You know, we don't know what moderation is. Yeah. You know, yeah. we don't. And I, I've always been the same. If I find something that I that makes me feel good, I do it and do it and do it and do it. like I'll find a song that I like, I'll play it seven thousand times on repeat. <laughs> You know, yeah. I'll find a food that I like, so I'll buy like 700 cartons and put it in the freezer and all, just in case it gets discontinued and I can never get it again, you know. Right, totally. It's good. all these things. Like my dad, right, whenever I was about 12 or 11, I bought this thing. This is the most ridiculous thing I ever even heard of. A lollipop turner, right? So you put your lollipop in it and push the button and it turned it so you didn't even have to. It was like an electric thing, you yeah. know. But then, of course, because I thought this was fucking amazing, I went down the next day and bought another one. Because, you know, that fear of not being able to replicate that that feeling that you got whenever you had it, and, that, you know, if it gets discontinued or if this happens or if it breaks. You know, life true of nearly everything that I own. Yeah. Like, I bought a treadmill at the start of lockdown, and I actually considered buying two. Because I thought if this one breaks, at least I'll have a backup. What am I like, going to do if I don't have a backup? Exactly. No, I, no, I have the backup. You know, you have a backup and 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 a backup. And it's just, you know, I don't know if that obsession ever really truly goes. No, I don't think it does. I think you have to, like you said earlier, is repurpose that obsession into yeah. a positive thing. And for me, my obsession has turned in from, changed from drinking drugs and cigarettes to um, exercise and and my focus of trying to give back through the podcast. And because I've people are, why are you doing the podcast? You're telling, and I'm like, it's it it's for me, but it's it's to give back to help people, help others try to find their, their path to recovery. Because if, if recovering addicts don't tell active addicts that recovery works, then why the fuck would they even try it? Right. You know, right. this why would you put yourself through the physical, you know, the physical detox, the emotional pain all that shit because it is shit yeah but once you get that first couple of months over you know it is you there is a pink fluffy cloud and you do live on it for a while yeah and there are you know there are spikes and there are lows but hey you get that anyway that's right you know? but at you least do. you can feel it with real emotion you know in rehab they always told us um you know your emotions won't kill you but the substance will you oh, know, that's perfect. That's really Isn't that, good. Yeah, that's so, really good. You know, failure emotions, they're not going to do it. They're not, they're, that's fine. But you pick up the substance. No, no, no. I, I had a friend called and, and they were struggling and, you know, I'm having a hard day. I'm having a hard day. And we talked about it at the beginning of the episode, but I said, you have to learn to embrace the hard moments. You you yeah. have to stare it down. You, you can't be afraid of them. You have to welcome, you know, they're coming just when they get there, you have to have a routine in your mind, emotional routine, physical routine, whatever the routine is. I used Break to, have to and, yeah. And I would get up and walk for miles. Me too. Uh, 
or take bike rides or go boxing. And, and it's because that was my way to fight that fight. And it's turned it like, like we said before, having, you have to have two treadmills in case one breaks I down. Know. Um, same thing for me. Like I said, okay, I've got to have different plans in case it's raining and I can't go. And I, yes. so I would have these other options and it's really turned into this wonderful routine. Now I'm recovering and it helps me fight the fight and it does get easier. I mean, yeah, you have moments it's tough, but it does get easier. And we wouldn't and, still be doing it if it didn't get any easier. That's right. That's exactly you know, right. People wouldn't, there wouldn't be long-term recovering addicts if recovery was that fucking bad. Yeah. You know, because we'd just true. go, do you know what? Nah, I fought a good <laughs> fight and it's not for me. So uh, I'll, I'll see you boys. Come on, let's go meet up and get wiped out. And the other part of the recovery is people continue to share and help others and give back 30 years into their sobriety and recovery. Yeah. Because they're the light at the end of a long tunnel in a very positive way because they know that someone that's not quite there yet needs to see that you, even the people that are just brand new to recovery a month or two in, they're, I think, the real beacons of hope for those that have not yet started the journey. Yeah. Because they need to know that I can get through a day. I can get yeah. through two days. Because you can't just say 30 years. There's no fucking way I'm going to do that. You can't look at it that way. You've got to say today's the day. This moment's the moment I'm going to say no and I'm going to recover. Yeah take the path. So for you, you know, what was the, after you recovered almost four years now? Yeah. Uh, no, 40 months. It'll be, yeah. So it was three years past in April. How good is the sunshine now? How good is, how good is are things now that you're on the path and be, it, you know, 36 months into recovery? I mean, it, I mean, I would imagine it's a 180 difference in a very powerful, amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know, I mean, I have, just find a true enjoyment of life. You know, I never had that. I used substance from such a young age and depended on substance and thought that I could only enjoy myself if I was, you know, the life and soul of the party or which turned out I was usually the biggest fucking dickhead at the party, but I thought it was the <laughs> life and soul. There's a saying we have over here is there's always one dickhead at a party, right? And if you can't spot the dickhead, that's because it's you. You know what I mean? And I could never see the other dickhead, so I'm pretty sure I was the dickhead at the majority <laughs> of those parties. But, you know, you think, you're just, you're jaded. You're, you're whole, you know, it's you're so unrealistic of what is actually happening. Like when I got clean, I went into rehab and I went into a medicated detox because I was on so many drugs and totally alcohol dependent. And I didn't know who the prime minister was. I swear to fuck, I did not know who the prime minister was. Uh, you know, they ask you those sorts of questions if you've given yourself a head injury. You know, like I was totally fucked. I didn't know anything. Like I was so far removed from reality that it just, I couldn't comprehend anything. I mean, I didn't even know when to eat or when not to eat or when to sleep. My body was just so used to me either putting a substance in it to wake it up or a substance in it to make it stop. Yeah, it, it had no natural rhythm of its own, no regularity. And that took a really long time to come into its own. However, rehab was really strict. You had to be up at a certain time. You had chores. You know, there was group therapies all day, um, you know, set meal times. Uh, you had free time in the evenings, which I would have used the gym and stuff. And you had to be in bed at a certain time and there were alarms on. You couldn't come out of your room. But the routines that I picked up in rehab, I found absolutely fucking amazing. And I've kept those now. I still do. I still get up first thing in the morning. I do the same thing. 
I still smoke. I still smoke cigarettes, and uh, I'll maybe give them up at some point, but not right now. Sure. But um, you know, I mean, I I get true enjoyment out of going on the treadmill. I get true enjoyment out of playing with my kids. My kids were a fucking dose to me. All they did was eat into my using time. Yeah. You know, they were an irritant. They couldn't do anything right. They never knew what personality they were coming home to. They didn't know if they were coming home to mom who's already had a few, thank fuck, and she'll be a bit nicer, or mom who can't get any, and she's like a like the Tasmanian devil going around the place, ripping shreds out of people. You know, my children did not know what mother they were coming home to, and I wasn't a mother at all towards the end. I, I couldn't even wipe my own ass, never mind look after them. Yeah. You know, and I didn't care. I actually didn't care, and that's the most painful bit. You know, coming, getting clean, you know, we have all used for, for, for various reasons, whether it's, it's actual dependency or whether it's, you know, grown dependency or whether it's, you know, accumulated. But whatever it is, it's, you're, you're trying to block some sort of emotional pain. Hmm. And you know yourself, the hardest bit of early recovery is facing all this shit. Yeah. Yeah, there is. You can't get away. Yeah. You know, you have to do it. You have to feel it. You have to go through it. You have to do it. You know, I had to have uh, social services involvement. I had to have supervised contact with my kids and then, you know, pissing in a cup for six months to get to see them. And, you know, I was like, once I got clean, I was like, tell me what to do, I'll do it. That's right. I don't care. I'll do anything, you know. And now, like, my kids are just, I mean, my my 12-year-old will text me on the 20th of every month and say, happy no drugs anniversary, mom. <laughs> you know, Isn't that great? Yeah, but the kids it's, are just, and it's given them such an understanding of addiction as well. You know, but it's been traumatic for them. I'm not saying it hasn't. Of course. But now they have their mom back. And do you know what? I'm the best version of me. Mm-hmm. I'm, the, I'm, I'm a better version than I was before I started all this shit. And I agree with you. I, I think, first of all, I'd like to comment on the you have to, in recovery, take the bullets or the arrows or the hard knocks that are coming because you, it's, you hard. it's fucking hard. It, you have to do it though. You have to stand up and take it, accept it, submit to it, apologize. And, yeah, take responsibility. Take responsibility. You That's can't it. hide That's, from it. You no. gotta just. Take it, and it sucks, but it's the best thing you'll ever do because it, it gives you a clean slate. Yes, because once you have forgiven yourself, that pain can't hurt you anymore. That's right. You know, once you've made your peace and made amends with each particular issue as you go along, if you keep batting them into the back of the room and go, you know what, I'll deal with that again, I'll deal with that again, there's always going to be a big pile of fucking shit waiting for you. You know, don't as soon as it comes along, sit with it. It might take five minutes, five hours, five days, five weeks. But you have to process that right through to the end until you know, right, I've, I've done that. that that's not going to come back and bite me. That's right. And you got to make it thorough. You can't. You do. You I look at quick. it from every angle. I would have looked at it from like the kids' angle, my parents' angle, my ex-husband's angle, the, the support worker's angle, my angle, and gone, right. Now, can any of these cunts come to me with a question that I can't answer or that I can't honestly hold my hands up and say, yeah. And I was like, no, they can't. You know, and, and that's you, you're gaining control slowly. You're 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 clawing back bits of control, bits of yourself, bits where you're not just, you know, the yes man or the yes woman or the you know, learning to say no was the best fucking word I ever learned. And I only learned that in recovery and now I can say no thank you. That's right. That's right. And and you give yourself the ability to 
be confident and know, and, and you don't have to hide from it anymore. You, you're out there. And that's the other part of why this podcast is so important to me personally, not just helping others, which is the primary focus. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's my way to not be afraid of my secrets anymore. Yeah. Like to put them out there where anyone that I work for can listen to this and know that dark side of me. But it's now turned into recovery, I think makes us all superheroes. That is our yeah. superpower. It gives us there are the strength, the focus, the dedication, and kind of the the mental awareness, the emotional awareness, the physical awareness of in, being in recovery is a superpower. I don't care if you've not gone through recovery, you don't know what I'm saying, but if you have, be proud of your superpower because yeah. everyone, ha- we all share that superpower in our own way, but it's a magical moment in life and, and it carries with us the rest of our life in a positive way. It's amazing. Yeah. And you know, the only way for this, you know, for recovery to work, as you say, is to keep carrying the message down to people who, who need to hear the message, you know, I mean, I don't ram it in anybody's throat. You know, if, if like I don't see addicts in the street and go, "Oh my God, you need to stop taking drugs and you need to get under." I don't. You know, if they look at me and maybe I know them or I don't know them, I'll give them a, a list of meetings or I'll say, "Would you like to find out about getting under recovery?" And sometimes they just go, "Fuck that, they're crazy looking. I'm not talking to them." You know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, because you have to protect yourself as well, don't you? you know, oh, of you course, can't leave yourself absolutely. Open for for things, but I mean, for me, recovery has just given me. I got into recovery when I was thirty three, and I said, if I get north thirty three years at this, I'll be a fucking happy and lucky woman. No doubt. You know, and if I get thirty three, do you know what? Every day is a bonus. Every, Every day, day is a bonus, and it's just it's unbelievable the change that can happen. Because if you had have asked anybody that knew me two weeks before I went into rehab. Will she make it? They would have said, not a fucking chance. I believe not you. I, chance. I get that. And maybe we can end on this one thing I want to ask you is how much more free time do you have to do whatever you want now? Uh, I've noticed that my day is so open. Even if I fill it with a bunch of stuff in a good way, I still have more time than I... I don't know what to do with it, but I have so much more time now. I can, with I spend time with my kids. I go work out. I spend time with my wife. I do. I read a book, and I still, at the end of the day, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I can do more. And it's and you still have energy. You're yeah. not fucking drained. Yes. You haven't spent your whole day trying to find one dinner that will just pull you out of a hole, and then when you meet them, they're just a squat anyway. You know, <laughs> it's the the um, mental freedom, isn't it? You know, which just, it just makes everything so much more possible. You know, nothing's impossible when you're clean. And when you're using, everything's impossible. You know, because all you can think about is, is that substance. And it's, it's soul destroying, you know. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't convey in, um, enough how much this has changed my life. And I didn't think it would. Exactly. And when you're doing it, it's so great. And I'm so happy that you've come on the show. I do have one final question. What What is the turn of word that you use to say, if you had one, you may as well have a hundred. It was something that I... Oh, yeah. Uh, may as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb. Ah, I see. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> may as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb. Yeah. Because it's like if you, if you stole a sheep, you get hung. Or if you stole a lamb, you'll get hung, right? You know, back in the days. But, um... But sure, you may as well get a big sheep then. I see. You're still going to get hung. So they said, so it's like, well, if, if I'm going to, you know, have to reset the clean clock for having a shot, 
I may as well have 700 shots and three bags of gear because I'm gonna have to reset my clock anyway. You know, so. Jackie, it's so wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so very much for sharing your story. Yeah, no, thank you very much. I really appreciate it and I've enjoyed the, your time. Thank you. My pleasure.